Take your Bibles and turn with me back to the fifth chapter of the book of Matthew, uh, continuing in our series on the Beatitudes. Looking this morning at the fifth Beatitude, for mercy's sake, for mercy's sake. Would you stand for the reading of God's Word, please? And we'll begin in verse 1. And what I want us to do today is read all of the Beatitudes and then what Jesus says the outcome of the practice of the Beatitudes will be in our lives. See, in the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain and when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Father, I pray that as we continue to study the Beatitudes, that we would understand the inward transformation that you desire to make in each and every life that belongs to you. Your desire is to conform us more and more over time to the image of Christ. Lord, we thank you for how the Beatitudes Reveal that to us. It's not simply a quick list to read through and move on to other parts of Scripture. Lord, I pray that we would think on these things in the Beatitudes. And we would honestly ask ourselves if these are reflected in our lives. And if not, then there would be repentance in us. Lord, again, speak to that one today who may need to begin that journey with you. Lord, I pray that you'd convict them of their sin. And may they understand that what they will find here are those to love them, to pray for them, and support them. Lord, move today as only you can, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In the 2012 best-selling book, A Higher Call, 
we learn the touching story of unexpected mercy. It's the story of World War II American B-17 pilot Charlie Brown and German fighter pilot Franz Stiegler. It has been referred to as World War II's most touching and inspirational aerial encounter. During the war, Franz trained his brother to be a fighter pilot in the German Air Force. There was one day he sent his brother off on a mission never to see his brother return again. Franz wanted revenge. He was also an ace pilot, just one more kill to his record, and Franz would receive Germany's highest military award. That day, on a mission of his own, he pursued a severely wounded American bomber flown by 21-year-old uh, West Virginia native Charles Brown. It was Charles's very first combat mission. The plane was barely limping along. The gunner was dead. Many of the other crew members were severely wounded. France had every intention of blowing the American bomber out of the sky. It was five days before Christmas, 1943. He came alongside of the bomber and said when he saw that the pilot and others on board had no defenses whatsoever and could sense their utter helplessness and fear as they looked over his way, he knew he simply couldn't fire upon it. He knew if Hitler's commanders knew of his refusal to take down the enemy, they would execute him. But he said he felt as though firing upon the bomber that day would have been as cowardly as firing upon defenseless paratroopers. He simply could not bring himself to do it, regardless of being on the opposite side of the war. He remembered back in his mind one of his own military trainers once telling him that though one day he might be in fierce battle and combat, he needed to try above all things to keep his humanity. Charles said when he looked out the side and saw the German fighter, he thought this is an absolute nightmare. He's going to destroy us and kill us all. And there's nothing we can do about it. But suddenly, Franz nodded to Charles Brown, moved his fighter to the side of the bomber where the Germans on the ground would simply think one of their own was escorting another of their own. And he led Brown over the North Sea and out of Germany, saluted him, and then broke off formation and turned his fighter back toward home. Brown continued to take the wounded bomber all the way back to England, just barely making it. In 1986, Brown became more determined than ever to find the fighter pilot who had shown such mercy to him and his crew. He searched for four years with no success whatsoever. Before giving up the search, he finally wrote a letter to a combat pilots association in Germany seeking help. 
On January the 18th, 1990, Brown received an unexpected letter in the mail that read, Dear Charles, I've been curious all of these years. The B-17, did she make it back to England? Signed, Franz Stiegler. He had left Germany and moved to Vancouver, Canada in 1953. Charles immediately found him through directory assistance. The two talked for hours and set up a meeting. Now with all the human atrocities of Hitler, Franz himself being a German, being nearly exiled by his own people because he was a part of the military of their country that did not win the war, Franz said sparing Brown and Brown's comrades was one of the only good things for him that had come out of World War II. The two became the best of friends. They would constantly fly across North America to visit with one another. Their wives even became dear friends. They became good friends fishing buddies. Brown worried over Franz's declining health and he constantly checked on him. Franz wrote that Charles Brown had become as dear to him as the brother he had lost in the war. He wrote one time, Charlie, I love you. They died only months apart in 2008. Franz Stiegler died at age 92 and Charles Brown at age 87. Now folks, that is a true modern day story of mercy from an unexpected source, from the enemy. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful for they shall receive mercy. The first four Beatitudes dealt with inner principles, a person's heart and mind before God. The last four are said to be a little more horizontal in nature. They deal with the working out of the first four Beatitudes. The poor in spirit of the first Beatitude learn of their own poverty before God and are therefore able to quickly show mercy to others. Those who mourn over their own sinful condition are those who are led to purity of heart. The meek seek to make peace. Those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are willing to suffer for that righteousness even if it means being persecuted. And so folks, there is a connectedness to all of the Beatitudes. Now again, what you and I need to resist doing is simply grabbing a hold of one of them and saying, you know what, this one is for me to the exclusion of all the others. I'm going to ignore all the others. That's not how we're to look at the Beatitudes. It's like Paul's statement in Galatians 5 about the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is a ninefold spirit. It begins with love and joy and peace. We're not to grab a hold of one of those and say, you know what? I might express love today, but I'm certainly not going to express self-control. Both of these lists go together. A disciple of Jesus Christ is to live out all of these lists. Every point of these lists, this is the transformation that God desires to bring about in a disciple's heart.
Now, folks, we need to also remember one thing else, I believe. It is a process. Don't expect that after five minutes of somebody being saved that they are going to perfectly live out all of the Beatitudes just like they're not going to live out all of the fruit of the Spirit. It is a process of transformation. I want to say to you also, don't allow human weakness and sin to be an excuse that you can forget about these items. If they weren't important to God and possible in a believer's life, God wouldn't have given us either list. And so it's God's good pleasure to bring this about in your life and my life. I want us to see today as a follower of Jesus Christ that you and I are to extend to others what God has extended to us. And what we're going to do with this uh, fifth beatitude by looking at only it, we're going to be like a jeweler who holds up a diamond to the light and begins to turn it and look at all of the different facets of the diamond. That's what we're going to do with this first beatitude. First thing I want you to see with me this morning is that God, God is a God of mercy. God is a God of mercy. Take your Bible and turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Many of you will recognize this passage. Beginning there in verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort which we ourselves are comforted by God. Again, look at how Paul identifies God at the beginning of verse 3. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. Mercy is an attribute of God. Mercy is an attribute of God. Now some theologians will divide the attributes of God into two different categories. On the one hand, there are those incommunicable attributes of God. And on the other hand, the communicable attributes of God. The incommunicable attributes of God are attributes that He doesn't share with anybody else. He doesn't share with any of His creation. They belong to God and God alone. Now, an example of an incommunicable attribute would be God's sovereignty. God and God alone is truly sovereign. Another one of the attributes of God that's incommunicable would be His omnipotence. He's all-powerful. And still a third example of an incommunicable attribute would be His omnipresence. He's everywhere. God is able to be with us right here in Concord, North Carolina in worship this morning and hear every prayer that is uttered to Him. And at the same time, He can be across the sea with that group worshiping in Malawi that our folks just left a week ago. How can he do that? Because he's omnipresent. The incommunicable attributes of God. 
And then there are those communicable attributes. Examples of those would be things like love and mercy and holiness and justice. The Bible says in 1 John that God is love and yet you and I are commanded to also love one another. In fact, John says that is a, that's, a, that's an assurance of authentic conversion when we love one another. John says in 1 John, we love because he first loved us. And so there are attributes of God that are to be lived out. There's to be a family likeness. If we claim to be God's children, then we're to act like him in those attributes that he shares with us. And mercy, of course, is one of those communicable attributes. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 1.3 that God is the Father of all mercies. To say He's the Father of all mercies in the Jewish way of thinking means that He's the originator of it all. He's the starting point of it all. He's the originator of mercy. He's the Father of mercy. He goes on in that text to say that God, out of His mercy, consoles us and comforts us. There have been those times in your life that you've known of that comfort from God. You've been going through something difficult in your life perhaps and God has come alongside of you and helped you and strengthened you and comforted you and led you through that trial in your life simply because He is a God of mercy. He's the Father of all mercies. Then I want you to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians chapter 2 is one of those great mountaintop texts in the Bible uh, that, that has to do with salvation. Verses 8 and 9, Paul says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, lest any man should boast. You know the text. You know it well. But let's back up a minute to the beginning of the chapter and read. I want you to lean in and come in a little closer to me this morning because you don't need to miss this. Look at what he says in verse 4. But God who is rich in mercy out of the great love with which he loved us even when we were dead through our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. Now, folks, I want you to think about what the Apostle Paul is saying there. Link it up also with what's already been said about 1 John telling us that God is love. Paul says here, because of God's great love. It's not just love, it's great love. Because of His great love, He's also what? He is rich in mercy. Rich in mercy because of His great love. You see the wonderful connection and the flow there? Out of God's great love flows mercy that is rich and bountiful. From that great love and bountiful mercy, even when you and I were dead in our transgressions and sins, He made us alive together with Christ. Now that would have been a good place for an amen. But we're not done with that thought yet. 
We're not done with that thought yet. Do you remember the story in Luke's gospel about the birth of John the Baptist? Zechariah was told that he and Elizabeth were going to have a son. They were to name that son John and that John would be the forerunner to the Messiah. Well, Zechariah questioned the angel Gabriel about everything he was told. He was told by Gabriel that because he questioned and doubted, he was going to be mute until the day that John arrived. Well, when it all came to pass and Zechariah could speak again, what's the first thing that Zechariah began to do? He began to praise God. And what is it that he said about God? He said, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel. He's raised up a mighty Savior for us. He has shown the mercy promised to our Father. It was because of His mercy that God sent the Messiah, the Lord Jesus. It was a mercy that grew out of His great love. You see, folks, mercy is the hands and feet of love. Mercy is the action that grows out of love. The very fact that God sent Jesus was a display of mercy. It was God's great love in action. Now lean in again. Come closer. We're not done with this yet. Turn with me over to Hebrews chapter 2. Find Hebrews chapter 2 in your New Testament. And in Hebrews chapter 2, find verse 14. Hebrews 2 verse 14, the writer of Hebrews says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Powerful passage. You see what it's saying? It's describing the Lord Jesus as our high priest, but not just any high priest. What kind of high priest? A merciful high priest. And how is it that he's able to be a merciful high priest? Because of the fact that he came. Not only the fact that he came, but the way he came. He came to be a man like you and me, and yet without sin. So he could understand all of our temptations and all of our weaknesses. He's a merciful high priest. What do you call all of this, folks? You call it God's mercy. God is a God of mercy. Now, the second thing I want you to see with me this morning is mercy examined and illustrated. As we begin to look again at this fifth beatitude back in Matthew chapter 5, let me say that for the most part in Jesus' day, mercy was a very rare virtue. 
like us, they tended to show things like love and mercy to those who had shown love and mercy to them. It was, it was the practice of humanity to, to have the ethic that was sort of like tit for tat. You scratch my back and I'll scratch your back. You show me mercy and I'll show you mercy. Jesus said that's what the Pharisees did. And he said to his disciples, you've heard it said that to love your neighbor but hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Pray for them. Do good to those who despise you and use you. Folks, that was a radical new Christian ethic. And it wasn't just the Pharisees either. It was the Roman world at that time. The Romans, the whole Roman culture had little respect for mercy. If a man in Roman culture displayed mercy, they said that that man was not very masculine. If he wanted to show his masculinity, he needed to be somebody who would show control and power. Certainly not mercy. Roman society gave to men the power of life and death when their wife delivered their baby. If the, Romans, uh, if the Roman gentleman wasn't pleased by that infant, he could give a thumbs down and a nod and that infant would be murdered immediately. Roman citizens, if they had a slave, they had that same power over their slave of life and death. A Roman husband exercised that same kind of power of life and death over his wife. They had little use for mercy. Little use for mercy. One Roman philosopher called mercy a disease of the soul. Not a virtue of the soul, but a disease of the soul. But here Jesus says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now folks, careful. Doesn't mean the world's going to show you mercy back. John MacArthur writes, in Jesus' crucifixion, two merciless systems, merciless government and merciless religion united to kill Jesus. Totalitarian Rome and intolerant Judaism combined together to destroy the prince of mercy. And so the beatitude is not promising that if you practice mercy that you'll always get mercy back from other men. What he's saying is we'll get mercy from God. But again, a warning's in order here. Jesus is not saying that if you practice mercy you somehow or another earn salvation from God and the mercy that's included in salvation. Folks, the beatitudes with maybe the exception of the first don't tell us about our justification before God. In fact, the Beatitudes are showing us the kind of heart that we're to have after we're redeemed. They indicate the fruit of salvation, not the root of salvation. 
Well, what's mercy? How is it different from grace and love? We, we saw it earlier when speaking of God. Mercy is the action we take because of grace and love. We reach out to somebody who needs grace and love to meet their need. We saw earlier with God, mercy is more than simply expressing empathy or sympathy. Mercy's more than looking at somebody and just feeling empathy and sympathy. Mercy is your and my Christianity with shoe leather to it. Christianity in action. Some of you are members of organizations that are based on this word here. Eliamasonary organizations. What in the world is an Eliamasonary organization? It's an organization like a hospital or a children's home or an orphanage. What was the purpose in those institutions being developed? They were set up to show mercy. They go back to this word right here. Mercy. Now, if the incarnation of Jesus Christ was perhaps, the best, without a doubt, the best illustration of God's mercy to us, that He didn't leave us in our sinful condition. So if the incarnation is the best illustration of God's mercy and we're to reflect God's mercy, then what's the classic text in the New Testament that illustrates how you and I show God's mercy to others on the horizontal level. Turn with me to Luke 10. The parable of the Good Samaritan. You know the story. The parable of the Good Samaritan that begins there at verse 25. It says, Behold, a lawyer stood up to put Jesus to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What's written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You've answered correctly. Do this and you'll live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among thieves who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by to the other side. But a Samaritan, the Jews hated Samaritans, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. When he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I'll repay you when I come back." Now, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. So here is a priest. He looked, and I'm sure he felt sorry for this guy. Poor fella. 
Couldn't he have done something better to have protected himself, wound up in a ditch, beaten, left for dead? He empathized with him, sympathized with him. But what did he do? He passed to the other side and kept going. The Levite came along, did the same thing. Empathy, yes. Sympathy, yes. But true mercy, no. It was the Samaritan who came along and showed him mercy. Mercy. Folks, all of this means that when we show mercy, we're like Jesus. Because remember what Jesus would do even on the Sabbath? Even on the Sabbath, he would reach out and heal somebody. And the authorities didn't like it because he had healed on the Sabbath. And he said, I want to teach you something. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Is it lawful to do something good on the Sabbath? Uh, of course it is. Jesus reached out and in mercy he would meet needs. And you know what that means? If you're on your way to church one Sunday and there's some little old widow lady stranded on the side of the road and she's out flagging you down and needing your help, what's the merciful thing to do? You say, ma'am, I can't help you. I'm on my way to church. I don't have time. No, the merciful thing to do is stop and help her. Now, don't go driving around town looking for little old ladies as an excuse so you don't have to come to church. But I'm just saying, if it happens and you see her, stop and help her. That's mercy. Some of the people in Jesus' day would even set money aside. Remember, they, were, they didn't have Social Security like we have today. And so they would set money aside to care for their aging parents. After their aging parents couldn't look after themselves anymore. But they had a little clever way around that so they wouldn't have to do that. They would call it Corbin. This money right here is Corbin. It's dedicated to God. Can't be used for that. Jesus condemned them for that. It wasn't the merciful thing to do. Mercy is meeting need, meeting needs. It's your and my Christianity with shoe leather on. We do something to intervene and help. And Jesus says, by doing so, you will be blessed. Again, not necessarily from man, but you'll be blessed by God. It's like a parent who trains his child the right behavior and models that behavior and then sits back and watches on some occasion as his child displays the very thing that the father has shown him. The earthly father blesses his child and is proud of his child and rewards his child because of what his child has done. The child is not working for the relationship with his father. He already has that. That's secure. He is simply modeling the father. And that's what this beatitude is. You and I modeling the Father who is the God of all mercies. This morning I want to ask you, do you know the God of all mercies? 
Because of his great love, he is rich in mercy. And he's rich enough to cover all of your sins with his forgiveness and mercy. Whatever you have done, his heavenly account through Christ can take care of it. It's not going to stretch God's resources at all. It's no problem. He can handle it. Come to him. Believe on him. Experience the grace of the Father of all mercies. Do you need that this morning? Do you need to be like that publican in the parable of the publican and the proud Pharisee that the publican wouldn't even look his eyes up toward God but looked down and beat his breast and said, God be merciful to me, a sinner. And the Bible says he's the very one who went home justified. Do you need God to do in your heart what only the Father of mercies can do? Only God can convert a human soul. Do you need to cry out for that this morning? And if you've had that experience in the past, no doubt about it, that life-changing experience, I want you today to understand what God invites, yea, what God even commands you and I to do. And that's extend to others the mercy that He's extended to us. Because, you know, as we walk around in this world, we're going to see people beat up and left for dead. All kinds of needs. And as we see needs, empathy's not enough. Sympathy's not enough. We need to practice true biblical mercy. Is there anybody, maybe even God's bringing to your mind today? That even this week you need to reach out to them with the same type of rich mercy that God has reached out in Christ to you with. What are you going to do about it? Let's pray. Father, we do thank you. We do thank you for these beatitudes, the character transformation that they speak of. God, I pray that the beatitudes would be reflective of us as followers of Christ. Where we fall short, forgive us. But God, we ask through your spirit and your word that you would continue to transform us more like Jesus. Lord, it was good last week to see one come forward saying, I need to be saved. Perhaps there's another in the congregation this morning. Those that have come forward saying, I need a church home where I can be loved and prayed for. Bring those forth. God, use this time to do what only you can do. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.